You're listening to Impulse to Innovation. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Mees. As a global community of mechanical engineers with over 120,000 members in 140 countries, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers has been at the heart of the engineering profession since 1847. The Institution's mission is to improve the world through engineering by sharing the latest news, views and insight into the creative world of technology and the people that make it happen. When we listen and celebrate what is both common and different, we become a wiser, more inclusive and better organisation. This is a quote from Pat Wadors, Chief People Officer for Procore Technologies and passionate ED&I advocate. And that idea of commonality, as well as being uniquely individual, is what unites the 120,000 members of the IMECE. But a year of unpredicted changes to our lives and workplaces as well as the shocking racial attack on George Floyd in America, have sparked a sea change in the way we think, speak and see equality, diversity and inclusion. This, of course, is not something that is new to those who have been campaigning for change across gender, sexual orientation or race for decades, but this conversion of events has triggered a retrospective process across many aspects of society So where does the engineering community come into this? And how does it affect not just the IMEC's members, but the millions of engineers worldwide? In 2020, the institution formed its Diversity and Inclusion Committee, chaired by Isabel Pollock-Hulf, OBE. It was made up of members and staff with a wide variety of experiences and knowledge on D&I matters. In February this year, the committee launched A Case for Change, its Diversity and Inclusion Strategy Report for 2021 to 2025. The report aims to, and I quote, support our vision, culture, foundations and goals across our employee and membership base and is about people developing a sense of belonging, feeling respected and valued for who they are. So how will this report translate into real actions And what effect will it have on our engineering community? My guests this month are Dr Shinny Samara, Carly Nettleford and Dr Mark McBride-Wright. Shinny is a mechanical engineer and fluid dynamicist turned international TV presenter, children's book author, podcaster, public speaker and mentor. She is passionate about making science and technology accessible to all and has turned cutting-edge science into heartfelt and informative television, reporting on challenging subjects such as climate change, food, health, energy, and the physics of dark matter. Carly joined the IMACI as an engineering policy officer in April 2020. She works with the policy advisors and IMACI's expert member groups to help shape the debate across the field of engineering. Carly began her engineering career in 2012 on a pre-apprenticeship programme and completed her apprenticeship in just two years, being recognised for her achievements by winning the Apprentice of the Year Award for West London. She has worked in construction and in biomedical engineering and is now a chartered eng tech. Mark is a chartered chemical engineer specialising in health and safety in the oil and gas and defence industries He's a recognised leader in diversity and inclusion in the engineering and construction industry and is chair and co-founder of InterEngineering, an organisation which connects, informs and empowers LGBT plus engineers and supporters. Mark has recently authored a report for the UK government on tackling homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying in engineering and is working with the UK government on implementation of the report's recommendations – so it's no surprise that the IMACI asked Mark to facilitate engagement with staff and members for its D&I report. We also hear from IMACI past president and D&I committee chair, Isabel Pollock-Hulf, OBE. Isabel has been promoting engineering, measurement and manufacturing for over 30 years, following a highly successful career with a number of large Yorkshire-based multinationals. She was the 127th president 
in 2012, only the second woman at the time. She is a visiting professor of engineering at Leeds University. She was master of the Worshipful Company of Engineers and is a fellow of the IET and CGI. She was named one of the Daily Telegraph's top 50 influential women in engineering in 2016 and is a patron of the Women's Engineering Society. Carly, Mark and Shinny, thank you so much for joining me today. I I thought we might start with the IMECI report itself and just explore some of the main themes. So, Mark, if I might start with you, having facilitated the the focus groups and discussion with with staff and members, the the Equality Act um, legally protects people from discrimination in the workplace and in wider society. So why is it so important for the IMICE to publish its vision of a more inclusive engineering community? And what's the, the value of this kind of report or statement from a professional engineering institution? So the Equality Act tw- from t- 2010 is a piece of legislation which the UK should be incredibly proud of. It enshrines in law our commitment to creating opportunities for a wide range of groups who've historically been underrepresented in certain industries and for groups who've suffered from discrimination. And I think it's important for IMECI to position itself where it stands publicly on equality, diversity and inclusion because of the role it plays in engineering. IMECI represents over 115,000 mechanical engineers who come from all walks of life. They are spread across the world and as an institution, as a brand almost, the organisations looked up to with respect. So as a PEI, a professional engineering institution, it's got a unique role to play in changing the hearts and minds of engineers out there who still question the reason why we pursue diversity and inclusion. And I think that's one of the really pivotal roles that it can play as an institution is really getting the naysayers, the the protagonists, the detractors, the people who we still have to sell the business case to about diversity and inclusion, get them on side and recognise that if we cannot achieve that, then um, we still need to go forward to create an inclusive engineering community. Yeah, I think you're right from that point of view that, that there are always going to be people who who aren't really going to feel... Uh, involved or included or or want to be part of of this move towards diversity and inclusion but but we have to keep going um that's that's we've got to keep driving forward haven't we yeah definitely and i mean when, when i deliver my training i mean i've delivered diversity and inclusion training now to thousands of engineers across many organizations and you know i t- i i I say what's called the 20-60-20 rule. So you've got 20% of an organisation that are for it. They're the people that put forward themselves to be employee resource group leads. They'll take it on the mantle and they'll deliver it. They love it. And they won't question whether or not there's a time code for them to do the activities related to DNI. There's 60% in the middle that can be influenced. They're quite passive. They might go to the odd networking event, the odd lunch and learn, but they don't really um, properly engage with diversity and inclusion. And then there are 20% that are the detractors, the naysayers, the people that will maybe even go out of their way to pull down the efforts of of people who are passionate about ED&I. And they are not equally represented necessarily across an organisation. And it depending on an organisation, you might find that that 20% of detractors are higher up in the hierarchy. And that, to some extent, dictates the focus that uh, an organisation will place on on D&I. So... I would say to anyone listening, look at the opportunity that exists with flipping that 60% to make it 80% people for it and the people who are always going to be negative or or, or bring down anything that you try and do. Just appreciate there's some people's hearts and minds that you cannot change and they'll just stay the way they are. Absolutely. Now, Shinny, the the main focus of diversity and inclusion over the last 30 to 40 years has been really on the number of women coming into the profession. And of the five and a half million people working in in the engineering industry, we still only have about 12% who identify as as female. So do you think that this kind of strategy from the IMICI will will help in any way? Or is it just paying lip service, do you think? And perhaps, you know, just to paraphrase a well-known saying, E, D and I begins at home. Well, put it this way, it's definitely a positive thing that this is happening. 
Um, because, you know, anything that supports ED&I uh, can only be a good thing. Whether it's lip service or not, I think the fact that we're even having a conversation about it is extremely encouraging. When I hear Mark talk about the naysayers, you know, it's what I experienced. And, you know, I wish that when I was fully embedded in the engineering industry, I wish that, you know, conversations like this were being had where we were even talking about naysayers, you know. Um, so I'm very encouraged by this. I've also been very close to communities that are trying to encourage more women into engineering over the years, maybe even you know, a decade. And what I've seen over that time is, again, very encouraging. You know, the numbers are low. Let's be realistic. 12% is not great. But I do see more and more women finding their voice in engineering and becoming role models and mentors. And, you know, there's been a shift in women wanting to speak up about being in engineering. I think there was a time when women were scared to even speak about their experiences because, you know, it took so much for them to get to those positions that they didn't want to jeopardize anything. But now women are finding confidence to speak up and not only speak up, but also support other women that are coming through. So I think everything is tending towards a very positive direction. I know all of us here want it to want the numbers to be better but I think you have to start somewhere. So a report like this is great. I think it's fantastic. I just hope that it's fully embraced by people and that it can really make a difference because there have been some great initiatives along the way, but they haven't necessarily caught the hearts and minds of people. Um, but, you know, listening to Mark describe it, I think that, you know, this, this could very well be the thing that we need. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Shani. And and I think from from Carly, from your point of view, you're you're an eng tech, aren't you? And you went through the whole apprenticeship route into engineering. Now we know from research that fewer than one in twenty five BAME apprentices entered engineering in 2011-2012. and only six percent of employed engineers come from BAME backgrounds. So what effect has the absence of of ethnic and cultural diversity had on you and your career? And what difference will the IMACI strategy make, particularly to, to Black and minority ethnic engineers, do you think? I mean, I can totally resonate with everything that Shinny said. Like, I've seen all of, I've had the exact same situation, not only being a Black engineer, but also being a woman. So obviously, there's like multiple things that are quote unquote against me, if you like. It has felt isolating at times and there have been situations which have been quite problematic, um, just kind of being referred to in ways that are politically incorrect and things like that. But it's encouraged me to continue to be resilient. I kind of always had strength in what I was doing because it was what I enjoyed. So it didn't put me off. It just made me a better engineer, I would actually say. Um, and I think yeah. that the strategy will encourage engineers of black and other ethnic minorities to feel that they actually have a voice. And that's why I completely agree with what Shani said again, because, you know, these conversations are being had because we have a voice now. When I first came into the engineering um, industry, we that wasn't even thought about 10 years ago. Where you're a minority, you obviously don't want to speak up and say certain things because you already stand out. So now conversations are being had. I just think that the IMACI are really choosing the right time to deliver this strategy. Yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely true. I think um, it's it's a conversation that needs to be had now. If if there's ever a time that it could be had, it, it needs to be now. We need to, to be encouraging people to raise their voice and feel that they can have that conversation. Yeah, 100%. Now, Mark, for many L LGBT workers, the thought of being open about their sexual orientation can be an absolutely terrifying one. And, and survey data presented in the report suggests that 46% of all LGBT workers across the UK have experienced or witnessed some form of homophobia. The engineering industry has certainly not been that welcoming to LGBT people over the decades. So, 
What aspect of the report do you think could make a significant impact for LGBT engineers? And how can employers inspire change within their organisations? It's a very big question. So I set up Inter-Engineering, a network for LGBT plus engineers nearly seven years ago now. Um, And we've been um, advocating for a focus in this space um, since then. We've authored reports on homophobia, biphobia and transphobia in engineering with the House of Commons. And, you know, time and time again, we see a commitment, a desire to do something, but then it can it can fall by the wayside because of um, the fact that it is a hidden identity. It's something that you cannot see. So when you come to your prioritization of who you're going to support in your diversity and inclusion work streams, um, disability and sexual orientation and gender identity in the non-binary sense are the sort of hard to do things that can get pushed aside. Now, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender engineers exist up and down the country, in every organisation across the world. So an organisation an organization should aspire to create a culture where people can be open about their sexual orientation and express their gender identity in the way in which they identify. It's very different working in an organisation where you cannot be open about the sex of your partner than one in which you can correctly use the pronouns that describe the person who you love. Now, people often conflate speaking about your sexual orientation with speaking about what you get up to in the bed in the bedroom, and they are not the same. A straight male engineer talking about his wife is indirectly expressing his heterosexual orientation. So if you do know someone, if you do not know someone is gay and they then say husband mid-conversation, there's always that subconscious note which registers in the brain that aspect of the person's identity. And there's a personal safety element here too in talking about sexual orientation. There are some countries in the world where your personal safety can be put at risk if people are aware of your sexual orientation. And this can be a dichotomy which engineers face if they're going to be working overseas in very non-inclusive countries or where the very being of who they are risks the death penalty. So I guess I'd say to an organisation, to what extent will an organisation protect them? If they are not out at work, do they have to come out at work to justify a reason as to why they do not want to take a work opportunity overseas? Now, we, we've received inter-engineering many um, sort of requests for support from engineers in this space. And I say this from personal experience as well, when accepting my scholarship to pursue my PhD at the Qatar Carbonates and Carbon Storage Research Centre at Imperial College. When I was, you know, 21, just finishing my MEng at the time and was then offered the scholarship, I had to go to my supervisor and say, look, you know, I've actually just got engaged to my, my partner. I was open throughout my undergraduate years, but I was concerned that there may be a requirement for me to to spend a lot of time working in the research facilities over in Qatar and j- just having to walk that tightrope of not being open is something that I would have found really hard. So I just wanted to have it made clear to me that if there were an opportunity to go overseas, which I would have jumped at now, looking back in retrospect, but I just didn't want it to be held against me in the sense that if I chose to decline it and say no. So organisations need to be clear on how they'll protect their employees and also where they are on the spectrum of advocacy that they want to use their employer or customer brand to influence local change in geographies. We we think often about people within our own communities, but you, you've, you've hit quite an important note there, Mark, about the fact that actually engineers travel all over the world and actually understanding people's ethnicity and culture and things can have a real impact on on who we are and what we do within other people's environments. Um, and I think that's an important note to make, particularly as we have such a wide membership within the institution in terms of 140 countries, I think, are, are represented within the institution. So we have to be more aware, don't we, uh, of, of people's experiences elsewhere. Carly and Shinny, have you got any experiences in that particular sense, you know, in terms of traveling abroad and being very aware of who you are and where you are? Um, absolutely. I've been to a lot of countries where I'm very aware of the fact that I'm black and um, have to kind of think about your safety or think about where you can even go before you even think about booking it. A lot of like European countries, there have been comments, um, people staring. Um, things like that. Um, so it's not easy to just pick up and go anywhere. 
Um, I spent over the space of two years um, when I was working at Siemens, I spent time back and forth in Germany. And there were a few instances where people like made little comments and things here and there. Um, so it is a case of obviously being an engineer thinking like you might have an opportunity to travel, but it's not always a positive thing when you're in that situation because you, especially when you feel obliged to go to these places for work. So there's so many things to take into consideration just in terms of safety. But again, like the the point of us having these conversations hopefully can open the eyes of people and make it a safer place for us all to just be able to roam freely. I think from my point of view, I've traveled extensively for my work. And I was just thinking back to the days when I was sort of delivering conference lectures um, on my subject of computational fluid dynamics. And at those kind of conferences, because they were so international, there was a real sense of global collaboration because you'd arrive at these conferences and you would meet people from all over the world and you just get this amazing sense of science and engineering really uniting people across the world. And I think there can be quite a contrast in the UK where there's this kind of sense of perhaps it not being as open. Uh, this is, I think what I'm saying here is quite controversial because, you know, I've lived in the States and I've lived here. And I think a major difference that I've really experienced is that we here in the UK can tend to be quite interested in tradition which is why something like the IMECI report is so encouraging because it is long-standing institutions that do need to open up to this idea of E, T and I. You know, I think there does need to be a sense of we all have something to contribute, this sense of being welcoming to different experiences and cultures and perspectives. I mean, that is what makes engineering so successful when People who are sitting around the drawing board are from all kinds of different backgrounds. You know, that's what makes an engineering solution so rich. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to be open to what people can, can bring to the table and to get rid of this old stereotype of what engineers are meant to look like. Um, I think really it can be summed up in an example that I, I recently heard actually talking to a NASA engineer. And she said that she once heard that major solutions could be in the minds of small girls, as in, you know, the cure for cancer could be in the brain of a young girl. And if that young girl or anyone is not nurtured and encouraged and supported, we all are missing out on that solution. And, you know, I, I just hope here in the UK, we really embrace that kind of mentality. And that's why it's amazing to have this report, because I think we're going in that direction, because we do need the support of institutions and traditional sort of academia um, and, and sort of research centers. And, and yeah, this idea that you know, the, the, all these successful solutions could be in the minds of young people that are just coming through and that we have a responsibility to nurture that is, is, is a really powerful idea. I think that it's a wonderful response, Shinny, and I think that leads me actually on to the next question, which which was for you. you you've recently published a, a number of books for, for young children to help them understand what it is to be in a STEM career and kind of to inspire them to study sciences. But one of the fascinating statistics that came out of the report was that members and staff who were surveyed by, by the IMACI, there was about 32% acknowledged that they were affected by uh, dyslexia and 20% by dyspraxia. Now, I, I know that that's a very small cross-section of people, but these kinds of hidden disabilities can have a significant effect, can't they, on the decisions young people make when it comes to selecting STEM careers and indeed, hiding these sorts of conditions can be extremely stressful for employees in the working environment. So why do you think that it's important that the institution has a strategy on these kind of learning difficulties within its EDNI report? Well, I don't think I've ever come across a profession that 
is so creative um, and so kind of non-linear. I mean, the kinds of engineers I've met through my work um, have come from all kinds of different backgrounds. It's amazing that Carly has come through this apprenticeship route because I think, you know, uh, my background was much more sort of university, academic research. And that can be extremely intimidating for our potential new engineers that are coming through. Um, And this idea of being very hands-on, I mean, engineers are notoriously um, sort of tinkerers and, and, and love to experiment and prototype and just build things and fail. And so the idea that we're supporting people that, you know, aren't coming from these traditional roots is such a great thing. And it's one of the major reasons why I wanted to write these children's books, because year on year, I was doing many sort of talks to teenagers, maybe older um, students. And I was kind of getting frustrated that with all of these efforts to encourage young people into STEM, the statistics weren't really changing. And it suddenly dawned on me that someone like me that absolutely doesn't fit the stereotypes, but went through engineering, you know, what was it that allowed me to go into engineering and and not something else? And it was because from a very early age, I was influenced by my dad, who's an engineer, who just got me thinking you know, growing up, it was always about encouraging curiosity and wonder and kind of thinking about solutions, not always coming up with answers, but just getting the cogs turning in my mind. And that's when I thought, you know what, I I need to write a series of children's books that captures that wonder and curiosity from an early age and, and celebrating that rather than kind of labeling people with what they can't do because of their various conditions and actually celebrating what they do bring um, to the table. Because, you know, again, people from all different backgrounds and perspectives and different ways of absorbing the world around them can can lead to richer engineering solutions, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and Mark, I guess this is a dichotomy, isn't it, within engineering is that it's this wonderful melting pot of creativity and innovation. And yet, we, we seem to be very isolating of people who can bring all of those different experiences and opportunities into that creative melting pot. It, it seems like we, we're not quite getting everything out of people in terms of their engineering capacity and capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've just um, looked up actually, Shani, your books look brilliant. I'll need to uh, get some for my kids. So I've got a son who's three and a daughter who's um, 16 months old. And Certainly something that I am taking in my, as I get deeper into parenthood, as my children become older, is really being hyper tuned into the gender stereotypes that start from a very, very young age through the toys that they're presented with, the clothing options that are available on the market. And this is from an, this is from a hyper tuned in diversity and inclusion consultant still trying to navigate uh, the lack of representation or options that are available and so a lot of our diversity and inclusion efforts right now for the future workforce to some extent we're starting a bit too late you know when we're trying to encourage young women to come into engineering we we almost need to be creating investing in the feed forward loop now for the future leaders of 2041 onwards and be looking at nursery schools. You know, the kids that are in the age zero to five age bracket where there was a brilliant, brilliant documentary that I think everyone should watch. Uh, It was on BBC iPlayer and it was looking at um, gender stereotypes in schools and it was looking at can you teach um, stereotypes, basically? Can you eradicate it out? Anyway, there was a a neurologist on there from um, Birmingham City and she looked at maps in the brain and up in, it's up until the age of five, you, you you start to discern what you can do based on your gender from the age of about four or five onwards. Up until that point, you're not really influenced much by, by what you see or you're not consciously making decisions of what your future can be based on what you see you can be. You're subconsciously being influenced, however. So I think books like the one Shinny has written are incredibly important. And they shouldn't just be the the only option that's available in the bookshelf at the nursery or the the the, the shelf at home to to pull from to read from. Um, I'd like I'd love to see more um, books like this portraying 
STEM in, in a positive light that teachers and nursery teachers can then use in their repertoire of material to educate on the fun aspect of um, engineering. Yeah, I think we're all nodding profusely at that, that, that answer, Mark. Thank you. Carly, the report has identified 15 recommendations that the institution should consider in its EDI action plan for 2021 to 2025. Which of those has really stood out for you and and how would you set about kind of applying it to your everyday working environment? I think, first of all, the fact that it's been implemented over um, the space of four years is really great because it sets a more realistic expectation of how they're going to implement rule change. You know, like, for example, when we see, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then they want to do it in a year or a few months, and that's not realistic. In order for us to implement rule change, we have to continue to have these conversations and continue to put in the work and have a realistic time frame. So I think that's a really good thing, first of all. The thing that stood out for me the most in the strategy is having a network of DNI champions. I think that stood out for me because it gives different engineers from different backgrounds, whether it's um, a woman or the LGBT community, whether it's a black man, whatever the case may be, it gives everybody their own personal voice. And that's something I personally want to implement in my everyday work. I have a big platform in the IMACI. I have the opportunity to speak about a lot of different things. And these are all coming from personal experience, which what makes it so valuable. So I think that having a network of DNI champions, whether that's members or whether that's staff in the IMACI, everybody has something valuable to offer. Everybody has their own story. And like Shini was saying before, we can all bring different things to the table. So somebody might think differently about a situation based on their culture or based on their everyday life or based on different experiences they've been through. So I think having that network of real people and real engineers will just make a huge difference to DNI going forward. I think you're absolutely right. The the ability to to tell your story, to tell your narrative. I think is vitally important within our community. And I think that's a really good point to to end the first half of our podcast today to hear from Isabel Pollock-Hulf, who is going to talk about her experience uh, of being chair of the DNI committee. Thank you for giving me time to talk to you about diversity and inclusion. I will start by talking about my long-standing belief in equal opportunities for all. Then I'll talk about the DNI strategy and how my involvement in that has changed my perceptions before I finish with some suggestions of ways everyone will be able to help. Many might say I've been very successful in the world of engineers. When I started to think about being an engineer, I was at a good school in Northern Ireland, working hard for five good A-levels applying to and being accepted by good universities and ultimately going to Imperial College in London to study mechanical engineering, going on to get my first job in a large chemical company. There, I was one of 10 new recruits into my company. In fact, I was the first lady engineer they had ever had on the site in 1976. Since then, wherever I have worked, I have, in my terms, flown the flag for engineering and suggested that anyone with the right skills and talent can be an engineer. However, I now appreciate that I had the benefit of privilege that many do not. My career path had minimal barriers, only opportunities. I thought everyone had the chance to do their best and have equal opportunities. I now appreciate there are deep structural inequalities in our processes, which marginalize parts of our society. Many people can only show the talents which conform to the norm, resulting in many hidden and suppressed talents. Hence the need for a wide-ranging DNI strategy to represent our wide-ranging membership with the aim of making IMEC visibly more inclusive. 
This new strategy maps out very clearly the steps we all need to take to make a real difference. We need to be exemplars of a diverse and inclusive professional organisation. Where there are barriers to inclusion, they need to be tackled if we are to truly become inclusive and diverse in our engineering community. We all have to overcome our natural and unconscious biases. We must deal with objectors, deal with the issues, not ignore it and hope it goes away. Many of us now apply a DNI lens more naturally. Others are on the journey, and some have still to get the message. Personally, I have been amazed at how much support has come from both employees and members. I thank them all, as they have made me realize how important this task is, especially my DNI committee. So, why is all this important? This is about people. It's often personal. It's happened to them. They can see it happening to others. They know there are issues which need correcting and other issues need improving. DNI needs to lie at the heart of the IMEC's DNA and culture transformation. On its own, diversity will not just bring benefits. It's only by leveraging our diverse community through inclusion that we will see the desired results. Inclusion allows us to develop empathy and emotional intelligence to allow our diverse communities to thrive. Many people can only show the talents which conform to the norm, resulting in many hidden and suppressed talents, as illustrated in the iceberg diagram we included in the report. We need to go beyond dealing with the visible differences and deal with the less visible. And these are often the complex aspects of diversity. We need to appreciate what might be easy for us could be difficult for someone else. And here I do not want to marginalize anyone or cause some members to feel disenfranchised or pushed out. We need our long-term supporters. We need our majority allies to help. This is all about making more people with the right skills and knowledge feel included and welcomed. Ultimately, we will get better outcomes if we embrace the benefits of diverse thinking by ensuring our teams are diverse. Diversity of thought leads to innovation and better decision-making overall. There are many things working in our favour and helping the momentum. These include the work on implementing the three reviews and the work on the code of conduct. The appointment of an advisor on culture and behaviours who will also have observer status on the trustee board. The benefits of positive external collaboration with AFBE and equal engineers. And of course, this virtual world has enabled us to be more inclusive and to interact with more members. All this is really positive. Employees are being encouraged and they want to do it. Members want it, as it was mentioned in the focus groups. Employees and members are reacting positively to what has already been done. And I'm grateful to have had Mark McBride-White as an external advisor. The, the work he did in the focus groups and with employees helped open our eyes to how extensive, wide and deep we need to think when considering this subject. Diversity is not only about differences such as gender and ethnicity, but also differences between us which can be less visible, such as disability, sexual orientation, social background and life experiences, amongst other things. And you will see our racism pledge detailed within our strategy. We know that not all people's experiences as engineers matches their expectation or is as fulfilling as it should be. The profession does not always get the most from the people it attracts, and some leave too early in their career. In the UK, 90% of engineers are male and tend to come from a relatively narrow social background, a situation which is similar in many other countries. To change this, more needs to be done to challenge and change the culture in how engineering is portrayed. Promoting a more inclusive culture will, we hope, make engineering attractive to a wider pool of talent and help improve recruitment and retention. 
Work implementing the strategy has already begun. Many committee terms of references have been updated to reflect the importance of diversity with every board and group, and this activity is ongoing. Training packages are already available on mental health and dyslexia. Shortly, we will be launching a bespoke training program to take employees and members on a learning journey through education and empowerment, allowing individuals in iMeki's world to create a visibly more inclusive environment for everyone. The program will raise awareness, explore differences, highlight personal impact, and equip everyone at the institution to create tangible action plans and activities to enable our strategy to succeed. We have also appointed a diversity and inclusion officer who will work closely with the leadership team, employees, members and external partners with the aim of building and maintaining an inclusive culture. We are encouraging all our conferences and events organisers to have a diverse representation in line with the aspirational targets we hold for the diversity of our membership. So how can you support the DNI strategy? You could use your influence positively and cascade your active support to others you're in contact with. You could encourage the right culture and behaviours to enable the benefits of diversity and inclusion to flourish. You could start the meetings with an inclusion moment, bring the discussion to the table, help overcome natural and unconscious biases and tackle those barriers to inclusion. It's really important that you apply the DNI lens to everything that you do. Use inclusive language in your communications, in the committees you're involved in, and make everything that we do even more accessible. Your active and strategic support today has the potential to help us move forward even more effectively. So be our champions, be ethical leaders, and promote the message to become visibly more inclusive. I'd be really grateful for any feedback, especially by email afterwards, to diversity at imakey.org. Thank you. Of course, the iMeki is doing all it can to address the challenges of EDI right now. But what about the future? Will the iMeki's positive approach make a difference? Carly, how important do you think your role as an employee of the iMeki and as a chartered Eng Tech will be in implementing the EDI strategy? And what would you say to young BAME engineers to encourage them to become role models? both inside their organisation and to wider society? I think my role and my chartered status will encourage younger engineers to feel like they can do it too. So when you see other people with a platform and they're doing something that you thought might not have been achievable to them and you hear, you know, the kind of things that I'm saying, whether it's on the podcast, whether it's within things I write, whether it's in the videos that we do for the iMeki, it gives them that actual genuine experience. Like they're hearing from somebody who's real saying they've done it. So I think it gives encouragement that they can do it too. And that's for both female engineers um, and um, black and ethnic minority engineers. I would tell them to just never feel limited by other people's views because everybody's always going to have their own opinion. and some aspects of industry are still quite old-fashioned but the more we speak up the more we see the change is coming and I'm very hopeful for the next decade of engineers that we're going to bring up. Shinny you have a very public-facing job as a broadcaster and presenter as well as being an engineer. What do you think the the engineering community could be doing to raise greater awareness of the importance of EDI in the engineering and wider STEM industries to inspire change in behaviours? You know, one of the most encouraging things about this report is that I really feel that it gives engineers of all backgrounds permission to be themselves. I think for a long time, many engineers have been lingering in the background, scared to speak up. 
And so reports like this say, you know what, we actually want to hear from you. And so I think given a report like this, it becomes almost like a launch pad to then saying, okay, you now have permission to speak. Let's hear from you. So I think people like me, podcasts like this, print, media, digital, there are all kinds of platforms for us to now see and hear from these people that have been silent for so long. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, there's that old saying of you need to see it to be it. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing who these incredible people are, because the minute you the minute you just see someone or hear someone, you're like, wow, someone actually exists like that. That's amazing. And I always feel so uplifted and so inspired by by people who are just doing the engineering. Um, and that's actually something that, you know, I kind of wanted to to say that ultimately, whichever group you're in, it always just boils down to the engineering. Because I think at the heart of it all, it is the most inspiring thing to see someone passionate about engineering. And I think we need to make sure that that passion comes through. And, and really, that's, that's the main goal. Because I think, you know, I've interviewed a lot of women in engineering now. Um, and a lot of women are saying, you know, I just want to be recognized for the work that I do, rather than for the gender that I am. And I think that should be at the forefront of everything is, is the engineering. And then, and then people just feeling very encouraged to, to speak up about who they are. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And we're all different. Every engineer has an opinion on something. And I think that's what makes this profession so exciting. Um, and for me, yeah, uh, exactly the same. You know, I'm really pleased that the report has come about so that it can make people feel welcome and part of this big family that we're in, which is engineering. So... I guess my final question is to you, Mark, really. You know, what's next? What would be your top recommends or asks of the engineering community to create kind of long-lasting systematic change? And, and what are your hopes for the future when it comes to equality, diversity and inclusion? So my first point would be just on what was said there around identity. If you're going to step out of the light, be a role model, write about being a minority in engineering, you need to be willing to wear that label as equally in any order as being an engineer. I wrote an article for The Chemical Engineer a few years ago, and I purposely started it as an engineer who is gay, blah, blah, blah. I would write that differently now, and I would say as a gay engineer. Because what I see is that sometimes people who could be potential role models sharing their story, the ability and desire to not be known as insert minority X actually holds them back sometimes from being able to share um, and putting the ladder down to pull people up, so on and so forth. So I think just having that alignment in your head with where your comfort zone is operating publicly as an engineer, not everyone is going to step forward to be a role model. And we shouldn't expect that of everyone who's in an underrepresented group of as course. well. Um, but don't let that hold you back. And, and, and ultimately, yes, it is the engineering that holds us all, holds us all together. Um, what, what I would like for long-lasting change, in the report, one of the um, diagrams that we contributed was the um, iceberg model, the waterline of visibility. Um, and I use that extensively in my training when um, engaging men, engaging the male majority. So if you think about your waterline as being a proxy for how inclusive your culture is, how comfortable you are sharing elements beneath the waterline will be dictated by how comfortable people feel. And we've done some research seeing the male suicide rates in construction, manufacturing, the process industries are the highest by any sector in the United Kingdom. So there's a disconnect between the intention of inclusion and belonging programs and how men are showing up at work, how they're experiencing inclusion and belonging. They're masking, they're hiding, turbulence is going on. So if we can position the intention of our inclusion and belonging programs as one where we bring in an inclusive leadership, we're building psychological safety, we're given permission to be vulnerable, then men can release themselves from the shackles of the toxic masculinity that can exist, that can hold them back from being pro proponents. And then we have a rooting point of empathy to then understand the needs of underrepresented groups who are disproportionately impacted by 
mental ill health. Um, so to create long-lasting systemic change, um, I want us to stop having the conversation on the why for diversity and inclusion because it is becoming tiresome. We do need to accept that not everyone is going to get it. Not everyone is going to support the measures we put in place for closing the gaps in inequity. And so should we not, we shouldn't let that keep stalling us. Engaging the male majority does need to be a cornerstone to our strategy in positively influencing the hearts and minds of the advocates and allies. We need to shift the culture. And just one final thing I, I think there is an unmined potential on is I think there's potentially significant gains to be achieved through a more explicit intrinsic link demonstrated between having an inclusive culture and the positive improvements in safety performance. The ability to create leaders with empathy who are strong in building the psychological safety in their teams, to create organisations where reports of bullying and harassment drop into the low numbers, into the noise, and where we can benefit financially from a focused profession where everyone's working at their optimum and in a pattern which works for their worth-life balance. I'd like to see a reporting system developed which knits together the common ways of reporting physical safety risks and performance and expand this to incorporate the metrics on inclusive culture. I believe that we will then be able to further evidence that an inclusive culture actually helps save lives through a reduction in suicide rates because people feel they can be themselves and seek the appropriate support by their employer when they're in a time of need. So my, my, my final point to everyone listening would be, think about what your diversity story is you may not feel like you fit into a minority group, but actually everyone is innately unique in this world because we've all been on very different journeys to get to where we're at. And then what is it that you can share with the engineering profession, bring to your engineering job to really help, you know, showcase the diversity that we have within engineering and grow it further and attract more people? I think that that is a wonderful point to end on Mark and uh, I hope that that's a message that our listeners will take away with them. Thank you to my wonderful panel guests for joining me today to discuss this really multifaceted subject. I mean we could probably have talked for a, for a whole another hour on this subject really and also to Isabel for sharing her hopes for a more inclusive future. So thank you very much to all three of you. That's all for this one. In next month's episode, we will be discussing the latest technologies on the motorsport scene and we'll be coming to you live from Silverstone as we join some of the teams taking part in this year's Formula Student Competition. You've been listening to Impulse to Innovation, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to share any news or any feedback with us, then please email us, podcast at imeke.org. All the information on this episode can be found in the episode notes 